0: Hello and welcome to this Eurective virtual event. My name is Julia Dahn. I'm an agri-food reporter at Eurective, and I have the pleasure to be moderating today's discussion, which is titled Shaping the Cap, how to ensure food security and green ambitions in times of crisis. And I think it's fair to say that indeed, we find ourselves in times of crisis, if not multiple crises. In February this year, as you all know, Russia invaded Ukraine. The war is still ongoing. Uh, and it has far-reaching ramifications for global agriculture and food markets until the start of the war ukraine and russia together accounted for more than a quarter of global wheat exports not global production but global wheat exports Uh, now russia is impeding exports from ukraine by blocking black sea ports with dramatic consequences especially for highly import-dependent countries for example in the middle east in the eu meanwhile we are not at risk of food shortages for now But we are facing high input prices for farmers, uh, for things like energy, fertilizer, feed, while consumers are also facing high prices for the food that they're buying, which makes food affordability an issue in the EU. Meanwhile, all of this comes at a time when we were already talking about how we can make farming and food systems in the EU more resilient against problems like um, interrupted value chains, which which we saw during the pandemic and also against the impacts of climate change, such as more and more frequent weather extremes, which to make matters even more complicated, um, are also exacerbated by certain farming practices or could be alleviated through certain other more sustainable farming practices. So as you can see, there's a lot of ground to cover with very complex uh, issues to talk through today, which is why I'm very excited that we have an excellent and diverse panel with us today to discuss these challenges and discuss also what the EU's Common Agricultural Policy, better known as the CAP, could do to address them. So let me introduce you to our panelists. We have Tassos Haniotis. He's the Director for Strategy and Policy Analysis at the DG Agri in the European Commission. We have Cécile She's the scientific... Um, she'll, she'll bring us a scientific perspective today. She's the Deputy Scientific Director of Agriculture at France's National Research Institute for Agriculture, Food and the Environment. With Marilda Descali, she's joining us from the environmental NGO BirdLife Europe, where she is an EU agriculture and bioenergy officer. And for some insights into the farmers' perspective, with Paulo Paolo Gouveia, he's chief policy advisor at the EU Farmers Association, Copac All right, but before we kick off the discussion with some opening statements from our panelists, let me walk you through some quick housekeeping points. Um, this is an interactive event, so please don't hesitate to send your questions to the panelists do this, you type your questions in the Q&A box on the right. Um, please identify yourself uh, and also importantly, identify which panelists you're addressing your question to. And I'll pass your questions on throughout the discussion, so not just at the end. So do feel free to comment and uh, ask questions throughout the debate. And you can also join the debate on Twitter by using the hashtag EA Debates. All right, I think I've talked enough for now. So let's turn to our panelists for some o- opening remarks. And I'd ask you, Tassos, to kick us off with your opening statement.
1: Um, Thank you very much. And uh, hi, everybody. Um, Yeah, I mean, you already presented a rather grim situation in your opening statement. I think to help the discussion afterwards, we need to have uh, in our mind uh, three different things that uh, will uh, influence and influence already the debate. The first one has to do with what you put already in your title of this event, which is food security. And it is important to keep in mind that food security is a global problem. The definition talks about, you know, food security being there when all people at all times have access uh, to nutritious uh, foods. Uh, All people at all times implies, and you have already alluded to that, that there is a significant part of the world population right now that it is at risk in terms not of affordability only which everybody is at risk because food prices are pretty high but in terms of availability you mentioned wheat uh, uh, to give you also some numbers if you look at the traditional uh, wheat exporters EU, uh, US, Canada, Australia and Argentina over the last 30 years they lost in terms of net surplus 5 million metric tons are still uh, massive net exporters. China and India gained uh, 12 million metric tons over this period. And then you have two groups, Russia and Ukraine combined, uh, have a plus 66 million metric tons of increase in their net surplus. And if you look at the net deficit of Africa and the rest of Asia, it's minus 62 million metric tons. So you see clearly where the impact is going. Second thing that we're dealing with is that uh, the green transition is linked to another global problem which is climate change and what we do is important if you combine both food security and climate change is important not only for the european union but also for the world as a whole and sometimes we have the tendency to create artificial dilemmas between the two it's like uh, having a choice between a stomach uh, actually, and a lang You need them both, and we need to have a very concrete uh, strategy uh, on both. Now, the third thing, and I will finish with that, is how what we do, and that will be part of our discussion in the global context. And here, there are three filters, three parameters that we need to, cap- to keep in mind. First of all, is in the direction, and there is absolutely nothing that would indicate that we need to change our direction. Second, there is a speed of adjustment and there are elements uh, in many areas that complicate uh, the transition that we had in mind. And third is the necessary mix of measures that would allow us uh, to stick to this overall direction and not so lose too much in, the, in terms of the necessary uh, speed and anticipation of adjustments. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Tassos. Thank you also for setting out some background facts that we can use in, in the discussion later on. And Cecile, I will turn to you next for your opening statement. So uh,
2: Okay. That's all right. We it's okay. Really... Okay. Yeah. So um. Uh, yeah. J- just complete this, uh, prim- preliminary points. Um, I want to say that, you know, your question is called for two comments. One is a question of priority, as Tasso said, you know, nobody around the table will contest that climate and environmental emergencies uh, is very important and nobody is going to contest that food security objective is uh, uh, just legitimate. by this time, uh, the Green Deal and Farm to Fork strategy, as well as the biodiversity strategy, give a framework to build a transition for agriculture and food system, which aim to deal with these general uh, objectives. And it's our responsibility, general responsibility, towards future generations to deal with that point. And the uh, Ukraine war must not call this orientation into question. Nevertheless uh War, war, but also the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, questions our position at short term as well as at longer term. At short terms, some specific adaptation has to be done, in particular, as Julia said, um, to help countries that are food insecure, uh, in particular in Middle East and in North Africa. But at longer terms, this uh, situation uh, questions the global system based on our international trade, linking our food security and perhaps more our food so, uh, sovereignty uh, to correct functioning of the market forces. And Ukraine war and Covid um, remain us that it's not so simple. And as a conclusion from our introduction, I will say that it call, it calls for a search of greater resilience for EU agriculture and food system, and it provides additional argument in favour of a European Green Deal and for an ambitious CEP. Thank you,
0: Ceci. I thank you also for pointing out the fact that uh, there are some urgent short-term measures to be taken, while there's also this question of, in the longer term, how to make our food systems more resilient. I'm sure that's something we're going to come back to. But first, let me turn to Marilda for your opening statement.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Um, thank you and uh, hello to everybody. Um, so our point of view through the ENGO the point of view is that uh, we are witnessing unprecedented biodiversity collapse. And this is mostly due to human activities. And yet we are not taking the right actions to stop this hemorrhage. Especially in farmlands, we are facing dangerous decrease in populations of insects and birds. But what food production are we expecting to have if there are very few pollinators, when 85% of the crops we consume rely on them? What yields are we planning to obtain if the soils are eroded and there's no deep roots to uphold the water when we just face two consecutive droughts? So there is an urgent need to give space to nature by restoring green infrastructure at the farm level and maintain healthy and functional ecosystems to sustain our own capacity to produce food. This is food security. And it is time to step aside using chemicals and begin producing food with nature by putting into practice I would say, various and considerable agronomic knowledge. We need a lot of resources to do so. And what we have seen so far is that the CAP regulation has not delivered neither on biodiversity, nor climate, nor farmers, actually. So there is a need to discuss this economic tool. And we need to discuss uh, what might be the other better alternatives so i finished with
0: my thank you that, um, introduction. Thank you. Uh, and last but not least, I will turn to Paolo for your introductory statement.
4: Uh, thank you, Julia. Good afternoon, everyone. I think that uh, <clears throat> many comments uh, were, uh, let's say, expressed now and from various uh, perspectives here. I would just uh, like to to stress that uh, we are uh, facing quite uh, an interesting situation, I would say even uh, drastic situations since the 24th of uh, February when uh, Russia invaded uh, Ukraine and uh, was not an issue, suddenly became one. And uh, I'm referring to, let's say, the the, the aspect of uh, food supplies uh, uh, I would uh, I would put it uh, like this uh, in the sense of uh, uh, making sure that there is availability of food at affordable prices uh, when it is necessary. This is a bit in line with uh, the definition of food security that Tasos indicated uh, to us uh, some minutes ago. And the, the problem that we are facing is that this is, what we are facing now is not just the, the, the impact of the war, but it is a cumulative effect of things that we have been experiencing for for some years. I mean, the, we had the, the, the pandemic uh, on top of that, uh, we had, starting from the beginning of last year, the energy uh, crisis with the prices going up and uh, impacting, namely on 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 fertilizers, on energy, um, and then now with the, with the war, um, things became even more uh, complex. And uh, we must not forget that, uh, in one hand, we have seen uh, <coughs> huge increases in uh, production costs and input costs in, in agriculture but even if we are seeing now some uh, increase in inflation and we have seen inflation in some countries at levels that we haven't seen since the late 80s, uh, uh, the the impact on farmers' income is still quite significant and uh, we are not seeing positive uh, developments. So. Here in this, uh, in this regard, uh, what clearly needs to be done is to make sure that farmers in the EU have the uh, capability, the possibility of contributing their share to this global problem that we have and uh, contribute to increase supplies. This uh, is done and can be done not at the expense of sustainability because farmers are committed to producing more sustainably and this is the direction that the new cap has chosen where farmers have to comply with uh, uh, let's say more stringent uh, requirements Uh, but you need to try to understand that this is a a very complex problem and there is no one silver bullet that solves the problem. It will have to be a combination of multiple measures, but definitely one from the EU side. We cannot act in counter-cycle to the rest of the world, and we need also to take efforts and uh, improve the supplies. that uh, farmers uh, in the EU can uh, make. That's what I would like to say as an opening.
0: Thank you, Paolo. Uh, No single silver bullet, uh, a range of measures that we need. I think that's a good uh, introduction to start off the discussion. And I'd like to kick off with this most recent crisis that we are facing, which is the fallout of Russia's war in Ukraine, and talk a bit about how the EU is reacting or should react in terms of agricultural policy to this to these challenges so as, as i mentioned earlier and as we've also heard a bit from the panelists in the opening statements this is both a question of safeguarding global food security uh, and also of supporting farmers and consumers in the eu in the face of rising prices so the commission the european parliament and the member states have all been quite active on these fronts in the past few months and have launched uh, several measures Um, So, Tassos, I I turn to you first, maybe to start us off. Could you give us a little overview of what the Commission's approach has been to dealing with these challenges? What are some of the key steps that you've taken in the face of this war?
1: Yeah, I will do that by first uh, uh, clarifying one thing, uh, what what we're dealing here, not only uh, with the impact of the Russian invasion uh, to Ukraine, but even before that, when we looked at the increase in all commodity prices before the summer, we're dealing with a situation that is totally exogenous to agriculture. And therefore, when you try to look at the toolkit of farm policy measures, not only in the European Union, but in other parts of the world, it's very hard to find out what exactly you can do to address issues that relate uh, to energy, uh, but, uh, the asymmetric recovery of the cabinet of the COVID and then with a very dramatic impact that the war had in reducing uh, the supplies uh, of Ukraine. Um, That being said, uh, what we try to do is work on multiple areas in agriculture. First of all, we provided additional uh, income support in a flexible way, for member states to determine where exactly uh, the money should go, to uh, address some of the very significant squeeze in the costs that farmers are facing, especially because of the increase in input, both energy and uh, fertilizers, which in many, many areas uh, has increased much more than what is happening in the output prices. Second, we need to keep um, trade flows and price signals passing to farmers some direction of where to go. I'm not talking here about uh, a belief. A religious believe that markets are perfect and they solve all the problems, not at all. but what markets are doing is they provided with the market with the price signals, some indication of where most of the uh, uh, of the deficit is going to be in terms of overall production, which is the typical case in all the markets we see and that you expect that the adjustment that will be happening in, uh, in our production would help uh, relieving some of the problem. And third, we looked into uh, all the measures that are available and tried to see what we could uh, relax in terms of uh, uh, production constraints without this meaning, of course, that we have to lower uh, our standards. And I need to clarify one thing here because uh, there is a lot of criticism uh, from certain circles about the derogations in uh, some of the conditions that apply to greening uh, or potentially could apply uh, next year we have to be very clear we cannot introduce an artificial dilemma that everything that is under the ecologically focused area is a non-polluting agricultural and everything rest which is a great majority of EU land is polluting because this is not clearly the case what is very clear is that we have areas where we wanted to increase the overall level of environmental ambition But at the same time, we need to have the big picture. And the big picture indicates that there are going to be some parameters that are and will continue to be important in the future related to the productivity, the realignment of trade flows and sourcing in terms of food, energy and fertilizer. And finally, we should not forget that we have done everything that we could to alleviate the pain, multiple pain that uh, Ukrainian farmers in Ukraine in general a phase in terms of uh, direct and indirect aid, in terms of uh, trying to open up corridors that would help them push some of the uh, grain that they have uh, in storage, providing them seed, providing them with uh, uh, fuel. And these are uh, the broad areas that are what we have tried to, uh, you know, to mitigate and uh, mini- minimize the losses of what is an extremely complex situation.
0: Thank you for this, uh, this little overview. I'd like to zoom in a bit on this, uh, I think the second to last point that you mentioned, which is that the commission has introduced some additional flexibilities in the common agricultural policy. So just as a refresher, um, the member states are currently working together with the commission on their national strategic plans, which are meant to implement the European um, common Agricultural policy reform on a national level. They had already submitted these plans uh, at the beginning of this year, but then came the Ukraine war, and obviously that changed the situation a bit. So now the commission has allowed for some additional flexibilities, um, as you said, Tassos, in in terms of some environmental rules, for example, such as the requirement to leave uh, 4% of your land area uh, for fallow lands. Um, And Paolo, I'd like to turn to you on this point. Um, What would you say from from a farmer's perspective, how would you evaluate these measures that the commission has taken in order to ramp up domestic food production um, these flexibilities that they've given is this the right way to go to go forward in your opinion well uh,
4: to start with we we saw some uh, measures that the commission put forward on the 23rd of march and i would classify them as immediate ones that uh, could try to alleviate the situation for this year for uh, spring crops uh, and the, the possibility that it gave to member states to uh, allow for cultivation uh, of um, uh, of uh, some spring crops, for instance as maize or sunflower uh, in uh, uh, Fallow land uh, declared under ecological focus area was <clears throat> clearly a possibility that uh, would contribute to alleviate the situation, uh, and we would see the the, the results uh, around, uh, let's say uh, September, uh, October this year. Nevertheless, uh, we all know that even if the war ended tomorrow, the impacts would be longer lasting, uh, and we need to continue looking at things uh, uh, for next year and uh, the year uh, after. And that is why uh, we have uh, communicated to to the Commission, calling for uh, derogations looking already at next year so that we could plan ahead. And uh, this uh, is linked to the fact that, uh, in one hand, uh, we don't really know uh what is going to be the 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 harvest of uh, ukraine this uh, summer uh, nor what will be the actual uh, possibility for them to uh sow in the autumn and therefore the impact on next year's uh, production but one thing is for sure it will be according to the reports that we have been seeing and uh, information that we have received from our ukrainian uh, farming uh, colleagues that it there will be a reduction at the same time like uh, tasos indicated there are significant amounts of <coughs> cereals and oil seeds uh, stored in Ukraine that cannot be moved, that cannot be transported outside. And even if (coughs) the Commission is making uh, significant efforts to uh, ship them out, well, transport them out of uh, Ukraine, uh, this is uh, a very uh, complex and difficult uh, process. So, in order to address this global problem uh, of availability of uh, uh, cereals of uh, not only in the eu but mostly across the, the the globe and with a particular impact in um continents like africa and also in the middle east um we need to uh, do our share here also in the eu and that means making sure that the farming community can contribute and uh, uh, step up uh, to uh, let's say increase uh, what uh, it is uh, producing. But this is not to be done at the uh, expense of sustainability. And this is one thing to, to be clear. Farmers have committed and they are respecting uh, the, the, the rules. They, have, they might not like uh, everything that was agreed, but they will abide uh, by, by them. But there is also a possibility of doing both things it's not once against the other it is the possibility of trying to make an effort to contribute to uh, uh, the supplies making uh uh uh, supplying consumers with available uh food uh, at affordable prices but even so uh, the the affordability issue is not something that uh, the agricultural sector and farmers can control that are mostly uh, external factors, as it was mentioned a little while ago.
0: Okay, um, thank you. Um, I'd like to give Marilda the opportunity to comment on this. I mean, um, Paulo just basically mentioned some arguments. Um, EU farmers want to contribute to worldwide production. We also need to think about the longer term, about the next year's uh, and agricultural supply. So, how do you see this? Um, kind of trade-off that we have between producing more in the EU now and sticking to the environmental rules we had set in the cup. We can't hear you at the moment. Sorry, I was
3: muted. (laughs) Can you hear me now?
0: Now we can hear you. Perfect,
3: perfect. Okay, thanks. So I won't comment on the trade and markets because it's not really our do, um, our domain. But uh, I wanted to come back to the derogations that were given this year and the derogations that are on the table. For so um, when I was saying that we, we need to look at our food security versus the food or energy crisis and... By giving this derogation to member states to not comply with basic environmental requirements, I think this is very risky because we are putting in danger our food security. So we have realized how dependent our agri-system is on fossil fuels. And instead of shifting to practice that rely on ecosystem processes, we are doing the right opposite. I mean, we don't need to plow more land by using even more synthetic fertilizer and even more water. Um, There are other more sound solutions to adopt first, such as looking at the life and decrease our uh, livestock densities. And based on the FAO data, uh, researchers have estimated that reducing the EU use of grain to feed livestock by just one third could compensate for the collapse of Ukrainian exports of grain and oil seeds, and these solutions are not on the table. Um, we can also look at the crop-based biofuels, because right now Europe is using seven million of hectares to produce biofuels, which three point four million hectares are uh, like are in the EU. If we stop using crop based biofuels we can set up 3, 3.4 million hectares of very good land we are looking at the uh, set aside land which is a non productive area for sure but it's for biodiversity it's given for biodiversity to thrive and and also to have the uh, ecosystem services that biodiversity provides so and this land the fallow land or or um, sloppy land for instance this is not a good land for for to have good yields this is why we have left it fallow and um and so the the commission has given this derogation on land that we won't have so much productivity on that and secondly they haven't done any impact assessment on the negative impacts that it would have on biodiversity Thank you.
0: Um I'd also like to give uh, Cecile the opportunity to comment. I think she also wants to comment. And I'd also add this question that marilda also just raised of should we be looking also at how the agricultural land that we have is used? Is it used for food? Is it used for feed? Is it used for energy? Um and there is also a question we have from the chat on this topic, um, which I'd like to add uh, to you. Um which is Gérard asking, there, are mo- there is more grain that is processed in fuels, which have low energetical efficiency than grain that is exported by Russia and Ukraine. Why did the EU and the G7 not act on this? I assume uh, you cannot speak for the EU or the G7, but maybe you can give us uh, your take on this question. Uh,
2: I just wanted to complete Marilda's comments, um, because it's very difficult to estimate fallow area. And um, in France, which is the first uh, European uh, wheat producer, the ministry estimated that around uh, 300,000 hectares could be sown. But you know, as uh, Marilda said, it's not uh, a very good land with not very good expected yield. And so, uh, expected production will be then very marginal compared to the potential impact of biodiversity. But it, even if we, it's very difficult to estimate impact on prediction and on biodiversity, I think it's very, you know, quite dangerous. And even I wanted to, to notice that it's the signal we sent saying that uh, environmental measures can play as adjustment variables. So that's a very important point. And so after M- Marilda uh, said, okay, we have different a solution, you know, to to, to deal with, with, with this question of production, so feed and biodiversity, and it's very important to discuss both. But I suppose, do, do you want I, I, I follow my comments, or you want to come back after on that point? Uh, you can just include it in in your statement okay. now, if you like. Uh, okay. So um, you know, on bioenergy, I think you know it's not just a question of EU questions. Um, And it has to be discussed at global level is, you know, USA and uh, Brazil being the most important actors on that market. And uh, of course, uh, the EU um, agriculture can discuss that point, as uh, Marilda uh, points out. But um, I think the the question uh, is much more at the global level. And that is the first point. The second point on, on livestock, it's for sure an option, but at least at longer term. Um, but it's not because it's at longer term that we we have to postpone the transition for different reason. Of course, you know we, we can like that obtain more uh, lands for uh, human uh, uh, human food, but it's also because it's a uh, um, okay with the uh, uh, environmental objectives and GHG emission decrease, And it's also a question of diets. Nobody talks about the, the question of diets. Uh, in Western countries, we have too much animal protein in diets. And, uh, you know, it's a complete, uh, uh, a complete question uh, on the system of agriculture and food system. And so uh, we, we have really to, to go on, on this transition to decrease uh, livestock production, but it means helping livestock farmers, in particular uh, cattle farmers, to modify their practices, more grassland, more extensification, and also combining animal and, vegetal, and vegetable production. So um, and it's a more general discussion to modify uh, and to, to, to go in a transition on the system of agriculture and food system.
0: Thank you, um, Tassel. I'd like to give you the opportunity to res- respond to some of these comments. And I'd also like to add a question we have for you in the chat, which comes from Mati Gurik, who I believe is from uh, NABU, the German branch of BirdLife. And he asks, is there an impact assessment for the possible derogations for the um, the Geig 7 and 8, so basically the um, conditionality standards inside the CAP? Um, which are basically these flexibilizations that we just talked about. So, is there an impact assessment on this, um, on food security, of this impact on food security worldwide? If so, how does that compare to possible impacts of decreasing the use of food crops, of fuel, and animal feed? So, this kind of plays into this uh, discussion that Cecile and Marilda just raised.
1: Um, no, let, let's clarify one thing, and uh, I will try to bring us a little bit down uh, to earth right here for a moment, because we have to distinguish the very short-term immediate impact we have with the overall discussion we're having about the long-term transition. Because as a reminder that we have a war, is the fact that we we are going back to coal in center uh, member states, that the last thing they want to do is go back to coal. So when we talk about short-term solutions, we need to be aware about what is the requirement. Then, there is no impact assessment on going back to coal and there is no impact assessment on taking derogation measures where you have to react immediately. That's, we have to have a sense of what is immediate necessary action to address some of these things. Because is there an impact assessment, to put it like that, in the corridors that we want to create uh, so that uh, Ukraine can move its grain? And do we have the time to wait for an impact assessment to help them move this grain? Or do you think that the original potential uh, negative price impact in some parts where this grain passes through? That's the impact of war. And we have to be very clear that when you have the impact of war, the type of measures that you want to take might be measures that you would have not taken it under peaceful conditions. It's basic things. Now, on some of the other things uh, that were raised, I'm the first one that would agree that we have to have a very serious discussion what we want to do with land. There is so much land and we lose part of this land. We have lost a lot of land of agriculture that went to forestry and agriculture never got any credit for this. And the land that we have available, is either going to go for food, for feed, for fuel, to a smaller extent for fiber, and there is a competition also for nature. So from all these uses, which is the ones that we prioritize and at which cost? Because the use of grains for fuel has come as an exogenous pressure on agriculture to contribute to the green transition. It didn't come necessarily from the agricultural sector. We had this debate, food versus fuel, in the previous commodity crisis, and we're having it once more. So let's have this debate, but let's have it out of the global prospects and what it means, for example, to take the fuel that we have already designed to go into cars to reduce the emissions of cars and let's do an analysis of this. And that will also take uh, some time. And to put things into context, we have 100 million hectares of arable land in the European Union, 100 million hectares it's not the marginal area of fallow land that will determine whether to respond to a food security crisis or not. And what is the important thing to keep in mind, and that is what we should be looking in the strategic plans of the member states, is no matter what you do in terms of flexibility here and there, what happens in land, how we measure the impact of everything on a hundred million hectares and not on one or two or three million hectares. And the last point that was raised by uh, Marilda on a couple of numbers. Now, is the overall direction we want no chemicals or is it sustainable use of chemicals? Because that's a question that we need to ask for human health and not only for plant or animal health. So that's the first question. Do we do away completely with chemicals or do we do uh, go and reduce significantly, as we have put, the use of chemicals on the basis also of practices that would allow us to at the same time not lose in terms of productivity. And that's why the technological debate and the use of of best practices and new technologies becomes important. Second, the debate about how much uh, meat we eat needs to be put in context. Beef consumption in the European Union has been going down and will continue to go down. It's the consumption of poultry that is going up. And it was already mentioned, if there is no change in consumer behavior, what do you do to reduce by one third uh, the use of feed? You slaughter one third of the animals or do you take a gradual uh, transition whereby uh, you also take all the necessary measures that consumer behavior changes to accommodate this transition? And what, what is the, which is the time frame to do all of that? Because the debate that we're having right now is food security and uh, the green transition on the impact of the current crisis. And you have enormous pressures that are coming from the war and also from the energy transition and the very high cost of energy that puts a tremendous pressure in the capacity of the agricultural sector to adjust. And we have to be very clear what is short term, what is medium term and what is long term.
0: Thank you. So some uh, clarifications and some also practical questions there. I'd like to shift focus a bit for a moment and go a bit towards these um, struggles that farmers and consumers are facing in the EU. So we just talked about food availability. That means now we're talking a bit more about food affordability when it comes to uh, markets inside the EU. so, Paolo, do you think the EU has done enough so far in the face of this crisis to support farmers who are struggling with high input prices? So energy, feed, fertilizer prices are quite high. Has the EU done enough on this front, do you think?
4: Well, um, I would say that on the immediate term, uh, the, the the Commission has uh, responded adequately, uh, meaning uh, there was the the crisis reserve that was triggered uh, 500 million euro made available with member states having the possibility of topping up up to 200% of the those amounts uh, but let's not forget that the, the crisis reserve is uh, an amount that was deducted originally from direct support to farmers so it's uh, let's say uh, robbing Peter to give to Paul in this uh, in this context, uh, on, on the other hand, there, there were other measures that uh, were uh, put forward, like uh, 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 the the state aid uh, uh, proposal uh, framework that uh, came also uh, on at, towards the end of March, and uh, more recently uh, a proposal from the the, the Commission to use. Uh, up to 5% of unused funds in uh, uh, rural development from 2021 and 2022 to pay up a a lump sum to to farmers to help with... um, their cash flow flow problems. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, we saw in the uh, recent uh, uh, presented Repower uh, EU uh, proposal that uh, they, there is going to be a shift of uh, up to 7.5 billion euros from the rural uh, development uh, funds away uh, from uh, agriculture for projects that would contribute to uh, uh, transition uh, energy uh, transition. So we see here some mixed uh, signals, and what we don't see is also looking at flexibilities in terms of investments. And to be quite clear, uh, as a practical example, we all know that uh, prices and costs have increased and those farmers that uh, have uh, uh, have tried to invest and have presented projects, uh, the, the, the budgets that they have calculated and the offers that they have uh, gotten some months ago uh, are no longer valid because prices have increased so much and there is no flexibility to adjust these additional costs that they have to support If they are to to invest. There's also the need to, besides the derogations that uh, we have uh, been uh, calling for, uh, you need also to look into the investment side to make sure that farmers can actually uh, invest in, uh, for instance, precision farming. Precision farming would help them to save on the cost side in terms of fuel, in terms of fertilizers, in terms of plant protection products. And on the other hand, try to have uh, uh, enrich this uh, desired increase of um, uh, in, increasing supplies. And here, uh, we have this uh, famous uh, question of yields, productivity, and this is also something that we need to, to look at uh, because uh, the 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 land is not a resource that is elastic in the sense. In this sense, actually, we have been uh, losing land over uh, over the years to different uh, other uses, including including uh, urban uh, areas so in this sense uh, there are other things and other measures that uh, need to be taken uh, looking not on the immediate term but mostly on the short and medium term and we need action soon enough because farmers their activity is not uh, governed by uh, the calendar not the the normal one that we use from January to 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 December, but to the calendar that, that goes along with the harvest, the sowing, and the other activities that you need to carry out on the ground.
0: Indeed, important point there that we also need to keep in mind farmers' planning um, in all of the rules that we make. Um, also, the fact that farmers need some uh, need some planning security, need some time to adjust. Um, Tassos, I'd like to turn to you to talk uh, for a moment about this consumer side. Um, In this recent food security communication that the EU Commission put out, uh, the Commission stated that within the EU, the main concern in the face of the Ukraine war is food affordability rather than food availability. Um, Yet, I would say the main response from the Commission has been production focused. Um, Do you think it's, it's kind of a deficiency of the cap, um, the fact that it does not really have any instruments to support consumers who are struggling with rising food prices. The fact that this is a member state competence and the EU agricultural policy, I would say, has very limited tools to tackle this fact.
1: Um, let me try first the risk of uh, shift the burden of proof to a journalist. Uh, why should the cap address uh, issues that relate to consumer uh, income and affordability. I mean, why should they do it and not other type of policies? What the CAPS should do in terms of consumers is very clear, not only because the treaty says so, but also because the manner by which we reformed the common agricultural policy over the years has been to increase productivity in such a way that will make food affordable. And we increase productivity over the years at the cost of the environment. And what we're trying to do right now is increase productivity by taking into account the environmental footprint and improving it. You can call it jointness, as we used to call it in the past. You can call it sustainable productivity, as it is more sexy to call it right now. What is extremely important to keep in mind is that we need to have an agriculture that is very clearly uh, productive, competitive, so that it can continue to keep the price of food relatively affordable, especially in the context of pressures that are coming from all sources, energy uh, and the rest. And this is why it is extremely important in the current context to ask this question to ourselves, because sometimes it's asked in a different way. Uh, When we say that we need to make food more expensive to incorporate the cost uh, of the uh, of the environment uh, do we really listen to what we say and more expensive with respect to which level the one before or the the current one that is already 40 percent uh, more expensive or the double more expensive and why is it necessary to actually make food more expensive while there are practices out there, there are technologies out there that would allow us to accommodate the transition towards a more sustainable agriculture without making food more expensive. So that's the first very crucial policy question that we have to answer. And the answer to that does not come only from the common agricultural policy. The common agricultural policy responsibility is is to make productivity growth really sustainable and measurable, and we cannot hide behind that. And there are other type of measures that need to address incentives and disincentives in terms of consumption patterns and changes of consumption, taking into account that consumer tastes and preferences are also culturally determined and sometimes, sometimes takes much uh, longer uh, to change them. So that's what I think is uh, pretty important to keep in mind.
0: All right. so. Uh... We need different, uh, different levels, different actors to work together there. Um, Marilda, I'd like to turn to you with a slightly different question, although has um, touched on the fact that uh, EU agricultural policy is trying to become uh, more sustainable, uh, make production more sustainable as well. And the Commission uh, just last week, I believe, uh, tabled its proposal for uh, reformed pesticides um, Regulation, the sustainable use regulation. Um, And this was already um, pushed back a bit from March in the face of the Ukraine war, but now it was tabled and has the aim of reducing the use and the risk of pesticides by half by 2030. Uh, Do you think this is a good step to be taken now, even in the face of the
3: Ukraine war and the pressures that it puts on food production? Well, Before we, we talked about long term and short term uh, measures and solutions, and I think that uh, going towards a reduced use on pesticides it's what it's a long term um, measure, and it should start now. But we know that the um, the, the results will be will be achieved uh, by two thousand and thirty. Uh, and this is a very good regulation, and it's a very good step towards a more, a more sustainable uh, farming. And more, and um, we as NGO welcome this uh, this regulation, even though it was delayed. Um, but there there are some still there are some points that uh, would need to be uh, improved. Um, So it's very, very good to have binding targets for member states. But on the other hand, we need also to have good indicators, good tools to to look at the progress that member states have achieved. And so far, the two indicators that are proposed in the regulation are not fit for purpose because um, they are based only on the sales of uh, pesticides or plant protection products. And not on what it's really uh, done on the ground uh how much or the, the frequency of treatments the farmers are doing the kind of crops that are treated the kind of pests that farmers will uh, will treat and uh, and and also we don't know uh, the um, the hectare and the share of the the, the farm that are um, that are treated so all this is information, very important information, are not in the current indicators. So we might have the indicator on sales that goes down, but what we will see on the ground is that we will still have a load, uh, a high loads of pesticides. Uh, we will still see uh, the index insect population go down and n- no really progress on the uh, on the biodiversity side. Thank you. Um, I would like to. Uh,
0: Cecilia would like to comment. I think uh, I'll give you the opportunity, but please be brief, because I think we'll need to move on to a different uh, a different topic, uh, so we can we have time to cover everything.
2: Okay. Well, fair enough. You know, I, ju- I just wanted to make a comment on on consumption um, to to go on the sense of uh, Tassos that you know is it the CAP who has to deal with the question of social uh, policy? And um, and the the question is, you know, I think it's much more um, a a question of... uh, um, When you see about public economics, it shows that public measures are more effective when they are directed uh, to the target people. And so it means that measures should target consumers and, and. perhaps less farmers. So it means that, you know, at the current position of the CAP, which is a sectoral policy, as, as Tasso said, um, um, so it means that to reach the target, the CAP should be an agricultural and food policy. But is, it's, not the say, it's not the case now. You know, it's much more a social policy than a CAP policy.
0: Thank you. Um, I think Paolo would also like to comment, but also to you, I'd, I'd ask you to be brief, and then we'll wrap up this section.
4: Yeah, just uh, just uh, briefly on the on the this uh, proposal from the Commission regarding the Sustainable Use Directive or regulation. Um, I think that uh, one needs to be uh, realistic uh, with uh, with this, and uh, most of all. Uh, what is important is uh, if the objective is to reduce the, 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 the use and the risk of uh, PPPs, uh, then we need to have alternatives for that. Uh, so let's give us uh, the uh, alternatives and we will gladly uh, change the, the use. But let's be clear also. Uh, the use of plant protection products in crops is actually a cost, but it is done in order to ensure that we will have uh, a production that uh, can be used for human consumption and therefore enter the food chain. There are several examples of diseases that if they appear, they actually prevent the the crop from entering either the food or even the feed chain so and that is going to be wasted completely so we need to be realistic in this entire process
0: thank you thank you uh we'll take that as the, the closing remarks on this uh, block on the ukraine because i also wanted to touch a bit on the other crisis uh, we may be facing eu agriculture um, namely, the climate and biodiversity crisis, which are also having an impact on agricultural production. Uh, this year, we've seen severe droughts, heat waves, um, for example, on the Iberian Peninsula, but also across Europe. Uh, if you remember last year, there were severe rainfalls and floods, um, for example, in Western Germany, France, Belgium, that also uh, to, uh, did lots of damage to agricultural production. And these extreme weather events are becoming more and more frequent uh, in the face of climate change um now paolo i'd say uh, i stay with you for a second um, in the face of these severe droughts that we've seen this year is the eu doing enough in your opinion to help farmers cope with this
4: well uh, again uh, in in situations like uh, we are facing uh, support is uh, is uh, never uh, enough uh, if i can be so blunt Uh, One needs to clearly uh, ensure that uh, there is uh, uh, support to help farmers uh, look into more efficient uh, irrigation uh, systems and to move into uh, let's say finding uh, alternative uh, ways to uh, capture uh, water or even use uh, recycled uh, water for agricultural uses. Uh, so, in this uh, in this regard, there is uh, a, a lot to to use. And what we uh, often see is that uh, resources available in terms of the second pillar of the CAP. The Famous uh, rural development uh, are not uh, uh, enough in supporting uh, these uh, investments.
0: Thank you. Um, today we've talked a couple of times already about kind of more short-term and longer-term measures, and I'd like to come back to this. And again, um, I'd like to have some uh, two two opinions on this question. So I'll I'll turn to Marilda first, and then to Tassos for two kind of spotlights on this. But what do you think the EU can do in a slightly more long-term perspective to make EU farming more resilient to uh, climate change and these uh, extreme weather events that we're
3: facing? So,
0: uh, Emeril, if that's
3: Yeah, thank you. So as as I, as I said in my introduction, um, what we need to do now is work hand in hand with with uh, nature and, and rely on the ecosystem services, ecosystem processes, and uh, try to adapt ourselves to more droughts, more floods, um, and, and 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 also set set free from. Um, the, the high inputs that we we are doing right now, so um, so the for us the short term uh, measures is first to adapt our policies uh, towards and and invest on these uh, shifts towards uh, achieving long term measures as set at the in the farm to fork strategy. And, um, and what I said by adapting our p- current policies is, as I said, look at the cap um, and, and try to embed it in, in a broader and a larger uh, systemic um, consideration, which is the food uh, system. And this is, I think, the purpose of the sustainable food system law, that it's upcoming and that we are welcoming it. Because it is very important that if we need the system to shift, we would have to consider it entirely and consider the consumption side, the demand, and also the production side. Um, And we need also to to, to think about the farmers and we need to uh, think about nature by putting two very important uh, funds, which would be the nature fund in order to to now restore what we have left of biodiversity and, and, and enhance biodiversity, and also to have a fund for a just transition to farmers, because this transi- transition won't be done without the farmers. They are the first actors uh, in the first line to, to, to make it. So we need to uh, have and think about funds for them to make this transition as just as possible.
0: Thank you, and I'll let Tassos uh, complement us
1: with uh, your comments. Yeah, uh, Marilda, we haven't uh, really met and exchanged before. But as you are a newcomer, I'm an author, so I'm in a hurry. You look more long-term. I'm about to retire in a month, so I want to bring as much as possible here. And why do I say that? Uh, you made an extremely important point about the indicators that we need to have measurable. You know, it took me 20 years. 20 years from the time that we said we need to split the input use in the FADN data set into prices and quantities before we manage to convince member states to get it in. And I've been struggling 10 years now to go into what is now a proposal, the farm sustainability data network. So there are some processes that for good for bad are very long. But when we say to go back into what they used to do, the you is all of us in very different functions. So when we look at what we have to do right now and i'm afraid that i will have to remind you that we have the policy that i also find many things that i don't like but that's the one that passed we have to see what we can do with what we have in front of us so member states first of all need to get really serious in terms of developing in the strategic plans exactly these priorities that link to what we all agreed when we did the swot analysis that we have problems And there we will very clearly focus in what exactly needs to be done in a measurable way. And the point that I have been raising for years is that we have a policy whose leverage is on land management, thus on soil. And this is why it's extremely important to see what we can manage to do in the soil so we have beneficial effects on water, on air, and especially on biodiversity. Second, farmers have to do also their bits. Because we have seen in all practices, from agroecology, organic, all the way to precision farming, there are many farmers that have already done adjustment to more sustainable practices and others are lagging behind. Third, research projects need to hurry up. I mean, some of it is really pretty theoretical. We need practical, immediate solutions. And finally, there is an issue that is called farm advisory systems. We have been for years pushing to have functioning farm advisory systems, so that the knowledge that is out there is transferred to the farmers, we are ready to do it. Because, I mean, your starting question earlier was about climate change. You know, when was the first time that we mentioned climate change? 2008 in the health check, with floods, new diseases coming, the need for risk management and the rest. So, I mean, it's not that we don't know what the problems are, it's not that we don't know what the solutions are, but we need to find a better way of matching them together.
0: I think that's the, a good outlook. Cecile, um, I'd like to focus on a more specific point on this question. Um, I was wondering what your take is on the question of whether, um, or rather what role innovation could play in, in making EU farming more resilient to these challenges. If we're talking about, for example, new breeds of plants um i believe that your institute is that's also something your institute is working on and i'll um, add a question i found from the chat uh, which comes from james clark who asks why exclude inputs or technologies such as gene editing that could provide an opportunity to deliver on food energy and environment um, and water security maybe also altogether is um, his
2: take so yeah maybe let us know what your what your opinion on this is Thank you very much. So for, for the first point, you know, research can also help in a policy point of view. And um, I think the first thing is to to point out that uh, the CAP can improve the adoption of two principles, which is one is polluter pay principles and the other, the other one is provider gets and uh, so lies that, you know, um, the ecosystem opened the possibility to performers for environmental services and we have to improve by this way. And it's research in economics can, can point uh, out the, this important point to help and to pay agriculture for environmental services. Uh, so on the more general uh, the impact of research and innovation is Tassel said that it's an important lever for sustainability in the EU agriculture. Uh, of course, you know, we have different points. Um, and and in, the, in the chat, people said gene editing. And in in, in Rai, we, we worked uh, a lot on that point. But, you know, we also have to deal with the general um, decision on police and the policy decision to say okay uh, s- some uh, uh, tools are not available so in research we do that but you know after we have to deal with that um so w- we try to to work on different points so editing, and that is a, a first point uh the, the second one is you know precise agriculture and uh, agroecological practices so of course w- we have to work as Tasso said, you know, we have uh, theoretical uh, research and we have to work more on the link between research, innovation and uh, the way it's deal with the agriculture. And that is a very important point and we really try hard to improve the link, all the link or between uh, research to agriculture, but also between agriculture to research. And so that is a very important point, and um, the the, the CEP uh, and the second pillar help a lot on, on that point.
0: Thank you. Um, one point I, I want to come back to is the kind of wider point on resilience. I was uh, I was mentioned before, and I think also some of you mentioned uh, the fact that also the COVID nineteen pandemic showed some of the limits of EU agricultural resilience, and one of these limits was interrupted value chains, and now again with um, sanctions against Russia and Belarus and um, limited exports from Ukraine, Uh, we're seeing interrupt value chains again. Um, And a specific point that's that's especially crucial, or one of the points that are especially crucial in this, uh, I would say, are fertilizers. A lot of uh, mineral fertilizers come from Russia and Belarus. Um, These are not available at the moment due to the the sanctions. So, uh, Paolo, what do you think, how could we become more, or should we maybe, even become more autonomous in food production, in terms of uh, in terms of these in- inputs, in terms of these mineral fertilizers.
4: Well, uh, this is uh, uh, not a simple uh, issue to, to tackle, like uh, many others that we have been discussing uh, here now, and uh, uh, in it is the reality that uh, the the source or the origin of many of the fertilizers that uh, we use come from uh, Russia uh, and Belorussia. Uh, But uh, let's uh, be clear uh, here also, there are uh, also possibilities of using uh, uh, manure, for instance, uh, also as uh, as a fertilizer. And, uh, of course, within within uh, certain limits and within the the, the rules that exist, but that is a a possibility. And uh, again, uh, I would make a a parallel with food. I mean, fertilizers are the nutrients uh, that the plants need to uh, be able to give us uh, an adequate uh, production. So this is uh, a situation, I I don't want to say that this is... uh, a situation without a a solution. But uh, it's clear that uh, we need to uh, be quite attentive to the the evolution of uh, prices uh, and availability of uh, fertilizers. And we already saw... Uh, in different parts of uh, Europe, already last year, that uh, farmers have indeed reduced the use of fertilizers because they simply could not afford the prices that uh, were on the on the market for them. And this before uh, the start of the war and therefore the additional uh, restrictions.
0: Um. Thank you. So we have five minutes left and I'd like to kind of tie up some loose ends and look maybe into the future a bit. Um, and I found this question from the chat very interesting, which was asked by Jan Berheke from Minarat. I apologize if I mispronounced. Um, and I posed a question to you, Tassos, um, he's asking the fact that immediate measures are being taken because of the Ukraine crisis is understandable. But what is the influence of this on the assessment by the Commission of the National Strategic Cap Plans are there actions or priorities that are being shifted? What do you say? Um, do you think there is uh, the the focus of the general reformed cap for the next programming period is being shifted because of these uh, crisis measures?
1: No, uh, I wouldn't say that, uh, especially because, I mean, we, usually we have the tendency to focus on marginal issues uh, in, in areas, and miss the big picture. No, I think what they had put in place continues to be in place and our observations also continue uh, to be there we do uh, what we see as a worry overall uh, and that will come even after the strategic plans and the implementation is we see three major shifts that we need to take into account in the future the first one is agricultural mar- markets what is the level of prices at which are going to stabilize and what type of changes in terms of trade flows are we going to see in the aftermath of the war, because the war sooner or later is going to finish, but the situation in the world is going to be very different afterwards than before. Second, uh, the dependence we have is not only on fertilizers. If you look at the energy, especially renewable energy from uh, batteries of electric cars, solar panels, uh, I mean, uh, wind uh, uh, turbines, there is an overall discussion we need to have about what is the strategic autonomy of the European Union, and that does not imply that we have to produce everything among ourselves, but it implies that in terms of the geostrategic alliances, the short are open for discussion. And third, because of the geostrategic issues that we see, there's going to be some uh, possibility of having, if you want to call it a risk premiums around, which means that in the strategic plans of the member states, what we need to see very clearly is a combination of measures that should not be addressed individually, but when we put them together, we need to clearly see a very significant increase in the environmental ambition of member states, while at the same time the competitiveness and the productivity of agriculture it does not go backwards. And it sounds, you know, very ambitious. There are solutions out there, as I said before. What is not clearly there is you know the transfer of the knowledge where it exists to those that need it and that's one if you want my personal opinion one of the weakest parts we have seen in many strategic plans is the role of the farm advisory systems in member states what we tell farmers uh to do in to to help them in this transition
0: thank you tessas i think some very interesting comments there many of those watching um To wrap up, I'd maybe give the last question to Cecile and um, ask you, I mean, after CAP reform is before CAP reform, Um, if you could, in German we would say, bake yourself a future CAP, um, that should tick the boxes of uh, making resilient food supply and uh, green ambitions. Um, How would that
2: look for you in one minute, which I'm sure is uh, not at all a challenge. (laughs) So one minute. Uh, I want to come back to my previous comment which is you know these two principles which is one is polluter pay principles and the other one is provider gets and it's uh, it's very important you know to support agriculture uh, paying some environmental services so like that we can be much more uh, ambitious in, in an environmental point of view. The second point is uh, rebalancing the répartition of value between the different actors of the food chain to support farmer income the third point would be to combine cap and trade policy to protect uh, 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 european farmers to not fair competition and the last point would be of course to support research and innovation you know i can't say something else <laughs> as a conclusion being in in right thank you very much Thank
0: you, that was uh, quite impressive, uh, impressively quick, I would say whirlwind rundown, and indeed we're sadly out of time, Um, and I would like to thank all of the speakers and also everyone in the audience for the very interesting uh, discussion. I'm sure there's uh, lots of developments and lots of um, decisions to be made in the next months and years to stay up to speed with all of this, all the twists and turns, uh, make sure to Follow your active agri-food brief and podcast, and also follow us on Twitter at uh, EA Agri-Food. Uh, I wish you all a rest of a nice rest of the week, and I see you next time.